0: Too late oh, but or later comes down the i might as well be the one. Well, they you you they never told you the price that you, pay, the that you might have done. hi everyone this is Dr. Michael Wald and welcome to ask the blood detective the topic of today's show is called your deepest fears about your hidden health problems. I wanna say it again because this is not just a show. This is a reality, meaning that there are hundreds, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of people across the globe that have fears that they're sick and that their doctors have missed the mark. So your deepest fears about your hidden health problems is a show about how to get around that anxiety and how to take a structured and intelligent approach towards discovering hidden health problems and then of course, managing those health problems. My name is Dr. Michael Wald and to reach me with further comments on this show, call me at 914-552-1442 or to become a patient. And you can email me at info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. And my website is intmedny.com. dot com. You know, I haven't practice for 29 years. I can hardly believe it because um, I remember the first days that I began chiropractic college. I remember the first days that I began my master's program I remember the first days that I started medical school as if they were yesterday. Does this sound familiar to anyone? And uh, what I've learned over these uh, 29 or so years is that we remember what we want to remember and certain events in our lives impact us in unpredictable ways. And hidden health problems is a problem that has impacted many and Because a person may have fears regarding a disease such as cancer or diabetes or an autoimmune condition that they feel that they have, that fear reinforces itself over time like any other memory would. And any persistent fear, just like any persistent memory, creates Electrical creates physical changes and emotional changes and even spiritual changes in our uh, physical bodies. So for example, have you ever heard of a phonograph? A phonograph is uh, an old technology that probably was invented in I think the the late 1800s or somewhere around that time, and it recorded sounds, it recorded music. And it would take the musical vibrations in the air and it would convert them to physical changes on a record. That's how a phonograph works. And that's exactly how the brain works. So your deepest fears about your hidden health problems, as long as they are persistent fears, they will act just like a phonograph. As you think of those fears, as you speak about those fears, as you internalize those fears, structural changes in not only your brain occur and therefore your brain chemistry in the form of stress hormones and a uh, reduction of those happy hormones, but there are changes throughout the entire body. And people, again, listening to a show like Ask the Blood Detective, Already know, uh, it's fundamental to your thinking that emotional changes are tied into physical changes, and they're not just tied into physical changes. There There is no tying of the knot there. What I'm trying to say is that the brain is connected to the rest of the body. It's not just connected, it is the body. They're one thing. So we cannot have a stressful thought about hidden health problems without creating health problems. And, you know, I used to uh, be quite fascinated, particularly earlier in my career, when I would see a patient and that patient would express that they are afraid that they have uh, cancer. That was mostly what I heard. And I would work them up, uh, not as thoroughly as I do today, but quite thoroughly, I must say, and I might f- not find anything that suggests that, that suggested cancer. And this person was convinced of it. And at least one of those times, I remember receiving a phone call, it might've been a letter, yeah, it was a letter, from this patient who said to me, I was diagnosed with cancer. And this was about a year or so after I saw them, um, implying that She knew it was there all the time. No one found it, including me. And here she is with cancer. My reply to her was, and we had a very nice conversation, was that her cancer could have simply been coincidental, meaning that lots of people may have fears of things like cancer. Most people, I would have to say, don't get cancer and she happened to, so she connected those two thoughts as causal. On the other hand, maybe there's something more at work and she did have an innate sense of her illness, but there's also another explanation, a much more, I suppose you might say real explanation, and that is that this woman's obsession with cancer, could have created biochemical changes in her body that literally gave her cancer. The fear and anxiety about getting cancer will translate into changes in how the immune system works in her body. The immune system will become depressed. We know this in scientific circles, um, and there's no question about that, that stress, and fear will create stress and fear hormones that suppress the immune system. And the immune system is the surveillance system for abnormalities like abnormal cancer cells. And a suppressed or depressed immune system is not up to the task of recognizing, going for, arriving at, and managing the destruction of cancer cells. And of course, stress and fear promote various adverse inflammatory reactions and states, and exponentially changes our nutritional needs. So a person's obsessive thoughts or fears can create the very disease that we're trying to avoid in the first place. So what this conversation is going to be about is what we can do to manage these fears that we have. A lot of us have these fears, and I do wanna suggest something to you at the onset, which I hope you don't remember by the time the show is finished, but here it is. We've established that stress and fear and anxiety increase the risk of dying of anything, actually, and certainly can cause cancer and other health problems that may linger on a level in the body for years that go undetected, unconventional laboratory tests. I just had a patient yesterday. His health problem is so severe. He's had continual severe weakness in his legs after a life of being extremely active. And this is an intelligent man. And he made the comment to me that his doctor said to him that his testing, his numbers were fine. The numbers on his his lab tests were fine. Well, if the numbers, I said to this gentleman, on your lab tests are fine, and you have this problem, that those numbers are wrong for you. You need different numbers to be fine, to be truly healthy. Because the numbers, which reflect your chemistries, and therefore the functionality of, of many aspects of your body, you know, as they're reflected upon the blood tests you get at doctor's offices, if they are not reflecting your health problems, then either not enough testing was done and or the testing that was done was misinterpreted or the worst of all is that it's all normal. But it's only normal in the minds of conventional doctors as these ranges of normals are based on average people in a population and not healthy individuals. I've said before that I personally, as a 53-year-old man, do not compare my laboratory work to other 53-year-old average men. I do not want that level of health. I don't want to look like that. I don't want to feel like that. I want to run, jump, and play like a 10-year-old, if that's what I feel like doing. And I can do that. And that wasn't an accident. That was because... Steps were taken by me that were purposeful towards that goal. So first, folks, you come up with a plan of what it is you want. How do you see yourself healthy? And think about that obsessively because if you're thinking about health and happiness and all the things that you want to do and can do, that's going to drown out the negative images and thoughts and feelings of fear, stress, and anxiety. It's not really possible for your nervous system to focus on happiness and unhappiness, or happiness and fear and anxiety at the same time. And remember, if fear, stress, and anxiety cause physical and structural changes in your nervous system and therefore the rest of your body due to the relationships that all of your tissues have, then thinking of how it would be to be your healthiest, visualizing yourself running or jumping or playing, and not, by the way, folks, from the outside, you want to visualize yourself as if you were standing in your body, seeing out of your own eyes, doing the thing that you want to do. Because research shows that when you do that, that's much more um, realistic and consistent with the reality of how you see the world, right? You're seeing the world right now out of your eyeballs. Why would you visualize, let's say, you walking a long distance or walking up a hill or running up a hill or riding a bike or golfing or uh, playing hockey or maybe bowling, whatever it is, by visualizing yourself outside of yourself. That's not what you want to do. It also has been shown that if you visualize in this way as if you were visualizing out of your own head that what you're thinking about, let's say it's shooting baskets or it's uh, playing uh, table tennis, you actually can develop better skills by visualizing this. Just like you would develop those same skills by actually playing what it is you want to play. And that's because The thinking about it and the visualizing of it properly in your head uses the same neuronal pathways in your brain and activates the same biochemical and nutritional systems as if you were playing it. Now, if you could play it and visualize it, that works even better. So if you find yourself in fear and anxiety, immediately use that as an opportunity to switch your thinking and keep your focus on what it is you want to do. How healthy do you want to be? And of course, at least to me, and you need to ask yourself this, do you want to be healthy for the sake of healthy and sit on a couch all day, if that were even possible? No, I think, at least it's true for me, that I want to be healthy and maintain healthy so that I can participate in life to whatever extent that I want to. If I want to go hiking in Scotland, which I did a few years ago in the Highlands, I can do that for two and a half hours. If I want to fly in a helicopter and land on an iceberg and go ice climbing with picks in my hands and spikes on my boots for two and a half hours, I can do that, which I did several months ago. If I want to zip line from tree to tree two hundred feet above the ground, I can do that too, and I did recently. If I want to keep it safe <laughs> and work out for two hours in my gym while I listen to music or watch some TV in the background sipping my juice, then i I could do that too or I could just lie down for three to four hours and read a book and just enjoy life. So these things are my things. You may have different things. I'm sure you do. <laughs> so let's move on. Now, why, why do you try to stay and get healthy? I think we just answered that. But you need to answer this for yourself and really explore it, folks, because if there is a health goal that you have, if you are not crystal clear on that health goal, how do you know what to shoot for? That's like driving in your car to get somewhere or taking the train and not knowing exactly where to go. You know, you can change your health goals at any time, but if you have a more precise goal, that means the nervous system pathways in your brain literally change towards the achievement of that goal. And what about this question? Do you try to stay healthy because you already know your diagnosis? Well, remember what I said on the, uh, the show I did? I think it was the week before last on emotions. I spoke a lot about semantics. You know, a diagnosis I described is um, a set of words. It's a, ter- it's a term or it's a word depending on the diagnosis. Diabetes is one word breast cancer are two words, but the words, and any words we use in life, everyone, words are not the thing we are describing. So if a practitioner, if a doctor says, well, you have breast cancer, you have inflammatory bowel disease, you have diabetes, you have heart disease, you have chronic fatigue syndrome, you have fibromyalgia, you have irritable bowel syndrome, you have bipolar, you have depression, you have borderline personality disorder, you have ADHD, you have autism. All of those are just words. And rather than treating words, I personally prefer to treat people. So I like to talk with people. I like to look at the lives of those who see me. And then I do specific tests for those individuals and correct the biochemistry that, alters the structure of every cell tissue and organ of the body. I do not need a diagnosis for that. A diagnosis as a group or of words or a single word is not the thing it describes. The thing that the diagnosis describes is you, is the person. Now, a diagnosis is not completely useless. It's just extremely limited. So again, if you have diabetes, that tells me that let's see diabetes uh mellitus, you have high insulin and or insulin resistance and you have heart disease. That's what uh, when you have diabetes diagnosis, you have significant heart disease. A lot of people don't realize that. It doesn't matter what your cholesterol is or any of that. That's an independent risk factor of cardiovascular disease. And the number one reason why diabetics die is actually not of diabetic complications, but of uh, heart attacks. My point is that the diagnosis tells me a couple of things, but it never, ever, ever tells me what the unique biochemical needs of that person is beyond the fiction of the diagnostic term. Maybe this is why a lot of people don't trust their doctors and or don't trust the diagnosis because the diagnosis, although comforting possibly for some individuals on some levels that, that I can understand, they just know innately that it's just not right. There's so much more to it. And I give people a lot of credit for that because the nervous system is designed, folks, this is important, The nervous system is designed to respond to therapies and to thoughts and to the use of words in certain ways when those words and those thoughts are used correctly. And when they're not, the body kind of gets it. This has to do with uh, general semantics and, and just very quickly and we'll move on that it has been written and, and uh, discussed uh, uh, in uh, a tremendous amount of, uh, of literature and exploration by those in, into general semantics, that the body is designed in a holistic way. It just is. Traditional medicine took that holistic way, which the body clearly is designed, and you might say, well, how, what do you mean it's designed holistically? Everything works together any change in one area changes everything else. Um, so just let's leave it at that and say that yes, the body is in fact designed holistically. So those into general semantics, particularly the geniuses like uh, Jacob Bozibski, who wrote a book in around 1921 called Science and Sanity, um, described how if you approach healthcare, let's say, or the use of words in a way that is inconsistent with the design of the body, you create pathologies. That is genius right there. And when you approach sickness in the body, or of the mind, or of society, by using words correctly in a holistic way, the the same words we're using now, but using them properly. And I don't mean that from a grammatical perspective. I mean that from a meaning perspective, that the body responds differently. There is a practical part of this that I do discuss with my patients about how to use words properly so they're internalized to promote health and not disease. But that will be a topic of a further show. Now, maybe you have fear because you do not know your diagnosis. Um, Is it because maybe you have a fear that traditional medical approaches um, will not work for you? Do you feel that they may harm you? You know, fears persist if effort isn't made to dispel them. So I see too many people worrying, 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 and I understand that worry. So I help them dispel those myths because unless you dispel those myths, they will persist and they will cause disease. Too many people that I've seen over the years, like the example I gave you of a patient who developed a cancer, uh, and she always had a fear of cancer because they do not manage their internal fears, which change the body's physiology, to be consistent with that fear, literally causing the disease. Will that happen every time? No, but it definitely does happen Maybe you have uh, fears about hidden health problems because the traditional medical approaches that you've tried have simply not worked for you. I mean, they haven't worked. You haven't gotten better. I mean, that's a reasonable fear. It's just that fear is always harmful, just like anxiety is always harmful. And on the most simplest level, fear and anxiety and stress over what might be happening with you only does one thing from a health perspective. And in general, it it allows certain chemistries to form towards forming the disease. Now, if you really believe that, if you believe, as I believe, that carrying a fear or anxiety or stress over a certain health problem can cause that health problem, then you must admit that if you think another way about it, if you think about health another way, and if you recognize the potential that you have to undo that disease with your mind, with your thoughts, with strong intention that's persistent, then you should be pretty darn happy. So look, some of you know from listening to my show that I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 18 years old. I was a track star, I broke a three-mile track record. Then the next thing I knew, I couldn't see out of my left eye. I had difficulty moving my arms and my right leg mostly. And I was afraid. And my dad, thankfully, who was a doctor and nutritionist and good friends with Carlton Fredericks back in the day, who was kind of like the Gary Knoll of the 1970s, um, genius nutritionist and physician, uh, helped me realize that through nutrition and through thinking in healthy ways, I could undo my disease. Now I have to give you a disclaimer. Now I, I am not. I can't claim that you can do what I did. But as a fifty-three-year-old man now, I am in perfect tip-top shape. I can work out for hours with weights. I weigh a hundred and. 72 pounds, I have 6% body fat, I participate in martial arts, and I like to kickbox. And I have no injuries, I have never taken drugs. Now one of the things, one of the secrets that I'll tell you that I did that could work for you is kind of a... Well, some might, some might consider it plausible denial, but I basically at age 18 was told by two neurologists that my dad did bring me to because he felt he didn't want to be fully responsible. He didn't want to miss anything. They simply told me you have MS and you'll, you'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 40. And when I was 40, I, uh, by that point, I had run several marathons and I was in, again, fantastic shape. I went to visit, but they were both dead. So I I couldn't even gloat and I really wanted to. One of the things that I did besides taking the right supplementation, cleaning up my diet in specific ways for my my chemistry folks, I didn't simply take nutrition for multiple sclerosis, which you can look up in a book on health. These are the list of supplements and foods you should do. There's probably a lot of good there. But if even a third of that information were correct for your chemistry with your particular health problem, whether it's MS, lymphoma, uh, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, hypoadrenalism, hypopancreatism, it doesn't matter. It would be an astounding um, uh, coincidence. But here's my secret. And I discovered it by accident. I woke up one day tired of the anxiety, tired of the chest pain and the fear that I was in fact going to end up in a, in a wheelchair or possibly worse. So I just resolved that I would enjoy life and every time that fear would creep up on me, and would be right in my face, I would do something else that I liked. So if I got fearful, I went running. If I got fearful, sometimes I would go lift weights because these are things I love to do. If I got fearful, I would read a book that I loved If I got fearful, I would take a long walk on the beach. At the time, I lived in Brooklyn, uh, in Coney Island, so I would walk on the boardwalk, and and it was just beautiful. So I was replacing a fear and anxiety reaction, even panic attacks, with the things that I loved. And that, that powerful chemistry, the positive chemistry, you might say, Overwhelmed and diluted, and eventually stopped the fear I had from MS, which was making me sick. So, the other thing is, I think like, well, I imagine sometimes that I'm 25 years old. You might say, Are you delusional? I know I'm not 25 years old. But, you know, when I was 25 years old, I was running and I was lifting weights and I was reading voraciously. And I was loving, you know, life and all that as much as I could after that diagnosis and until I twisted my brain in right. And I can still do all of those things. And I tried to keep my chemistries in the 25-year-old range. They're not all there, but a lot of them are. And then your body follows through and there's this perpetual, holistic mm, changes that occur in the body in a coordinated manner, which really are the ingredients for building health. Now, are your deepest fears there about hidden health problems? Because um, you're afraid that you have, again, some kind of health problem that's not found. Well, look, I have looked at the lab tests of individuals and the imaging of people who are told they were fine and they in fact were not fine. So sometimes the labs are just read wrong so that happens more often than not. I can give you so many examples, but I don't want to get too much off the mark. Maybe you've seen all the best doctors and, they tell you, and they've tell and they told you that your laboratory work is, is pretty normal. Um, if you look at your lab work, if you actually look at your lab work yourself, do you see like abnormal tests in the abnormal column that, that they didn't tell you about? In my experience, a lot of those, or a lot of really important details could be gleaned from those uh, so-called normal tests or those just mildly out-of-the-range tests or abnormal values. But they're not abnormal enough in the minds of your your traditional doctors, perhaps, to mean much. You know, doctors make the mistake sometimes, I'm generalizing, of um, basically treating your lab tests and not you. And you know what I mean, because if you're not feeling well and your lab tests show pretty much normal values, your doctor will do nothing. Or that doctor will look at you and say, you know, this is probably anxiety and and or depression, so I'm going to write you a script for that. And um, what is so surprising to, to many of my patients is that I tell them that your blood work is designed, those ranges of cholesterol and glucose and thyroid hormone or magnesium, whatever it is, those ranges are designed to be only sensitive to abnormality showing when you've lost around 30 to 40% of your organs reserve function. When you've lost that 30 to 40%, then the test start, starts, starts to look abnormal. So it's abnormal before you see it, but it may not be abnormal enough. And several tests sometimes need to be abnormal enough in the minds of your doctors. So they really look very plainly like some puzzle they're putting together. And all the pieces have to be perfectly clear. But let me ask you this. And I'll give you the answer at the same time. So it's really rhetorical because we're on the radio. If your laboratory work, let's say, is abnormal and your issues are right there, they're showing on the lab tests. Before they were abnormal like that, what were they? Yeah, some of you got it. They were normal in every single case. So it is far too arbitrary in my mind to settle for normal testing because the laboratory tests are just so sensitive. Then the other fallacy that some of you do have is that you've been to a few practitioners, maybe a handful, and you think that oh, you've had every test done on the planet. And a lot of times, well, I've never seen that happen, but quite often I see a lot of testing, but some very fundamental things are missing, or forget the testing. Sometimes I'll look at a person and just their appearance will tell me, you look like you malabsorb food. You just look like that. And then they'll say, well, I've had all these tests done. Is is that test here? I have never once, I'm not kidding, I've never once seen uh, in the last at least 10 years of my 29-year experience a malabsorption test. I've not seen it. So um, doctors are not necessarily doing these tests. Why, I do not know. In the holistic field, we make the same mistake. I certainly try to avoid this mistake. Uh, expensive out-of-pocket tests like saliva tests or organic acid tests or amino acid tests, they're done often and they are uh, basically a waste of time. They're away- and, so, and even allergy tests uh, are mostly a waste of time. And some of you are saying, what are you talking about? I've had allergy tests done, I've eliminated the foods and I felt better. Well, you might eliminate a lot of foods from your diet and eat less, and just because you're eating less, you can feel better. But what I'm trying to get across is not that allergy tests are entirely a waste of time, they are rarely useful, but if you have any inflammation in your body, do you think you have inflammation in your body? I'm asking you. And most of you, I know, are saying, yeah, from what I understand about inflammation, it's the fundamental, basic way that the body deteriorates. We know that inflammation is the cause of all human diseases. So you better believe you have inflammation. The amount of inflammation you have might cause false allergy tests. It's like it lights up those foods that are tested for, like, you know, uh, like a night star. Everything just boom is more obvious to the testing. So inflammation can cause falsely positive allergy tests. And if you reduced inflammation with something like a steroid, I'm, I'm saying like extreme, right? You boom, you kill it off temporarily, obviously. You, your food allergy tests will often show nothing. So I am interested in first managing inflammation before allergy tests are done, if they need to be done. Okay? But if you have leaky gut, you're gonna also have many false allergy tests All right, maybe we can talk about that allergy testing during uh, another uh, show on Ask the Blood Detective. So have you tried to fix your health problems by yourself? Uh, Maybe you've tried to work on your health. Maybe you've uh, visited several practitioners, but just know deep down that something's missing. Does that that sound right? Um, Are you confused or entirely confident that the lifestyle and the nutritional supplement approaches that you've used might be missing the mark. On the other hand, I have seen lots of people who I sit with and they say to me, Dr. Wald, I do not understand it, but I've been taking all the right supplements. I've been eating all the right ways. I've been a vegan and I got diagnosed with cancer or I got diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome an autoimmune disease. Or I got diagnosed with diabetes or I'm overweight even though I'm exercising right and I'm eating right. How is that? So when I look at what they've done, I commonly find they did not do things right for them. They did things right based on their education, um, things that they've heard about or read about. But none of those things necessarily will hit the mark exactly for that individual. Even I've had certain health goals. Uh, for example, I, w- when I first did a marathon and then wanted to beat that time the next year, I did what you're supposed to do. I changed the, um, the extent of my training. I altered the times of my runs and the effort and the speeds, all these different things. I ate differently, I slept differently. And I, although I did beat my time, uh, it wasn't nearly as much as it should have been. It was predicted from my training, because I was using a computer-based training guide, that I should have beat my time by a full 15 minutes, and I beat my time by maybe 8 minutes. Uh, the point being that sometimes you do things what looks right, but I found I follow this general plan, but I didn't really base my training on my individual needs and goals, only partly. So if you make that mistake with your nutrition and you think you've done everything right and things are just not working out and you have this innate fear that you have hidden, a hidden health problem or hidden health problems, then um, you need to deeply reflect upon that. But the very first thing you need to do is visualize where you want to go in as much detail as you can, visualize the level of your health in as much detail as you can, and develop a plan to get there. And we're gonna talk about what that plan means in a little bit. But I wanna ask you, have you been working on your health problems for more than a year? If you have, then something is, is wrong. Depending on your health problem, most problems should be gone by a year. Or if they're not significantly reduced, there's, there's something wrong. And some of you are thinking, a year? I've done it more than a year. I've been working on my health problems for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years. And clearly, something is wrong. And you need the appropriate help to really get down to what it is that's wrong. Alright then, so, so how do you find hidden health problems? Before I tell you, just a quick announcement. So you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. We're speaking about... Hidden fear, well, not hidden fear really, but your deepest fears about hidden health problems. Uh, my phone number to either speak with me as a patient or to let me know your show ideas is 914 552 1442. That's 914 552 1442. And my email, which is best to contact me, is info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. And my website is dot com. right, so how do you find your hidden health problems? Look, I've said this on my, pr- my previous shows, you must, must, must be your own blood detective. This is not just, uh, I'm not joking. This means that you have to maintain a diligent and intelligent and organized and persistent and consistent approach to your health problems Anything less than than a diligent, intelligent, organized, persistent, and consistent approach will not determine what's wrong with you and how you need to manage it. I've seen too many people over the years know a lot. They're really smart, and they've applied it, and, and they've applied all the food and supplement concepts exactly right and other lifestyle changes, but where they failed was They didn't know how to adjust all that they've been doing over time as their needs changes or their needs change. So you might take your supplements and exercise a certain way, let's say indefinitely, and you're thinking, well, I'll change them when I get a health problem. Sometimes you need to change what you're eating and change your supplements and change your exercise based upon simply how long you're doing those things. So for example, with exercise, it's pretty well known. If you continue to do the same exercise all the time, you will reach a point where you will not get much gains from it. You might maintain, well, you maintain for a bit of time, but as you age, the same exercises that you once did, you may not be able to continue to do, but even if you could, they won't have the same effect upon your body. The point is, if you want to keep pushing your physical health, you need to confuse your muscles and your nervous system and and everything that's involved in exercising, which means you have to change things up and in a smart way. I did do a show on exercise. We might uh, talk about that again uh, in the future. But that's one important aspect of if you don't do that, then a good asp- a good part of your health will will suffer, even if you start exercising exactly right for you. And the same thing with your supplements. Supplements are needed to augment food nutrition levels. And if you wanna get rid of persistent health problems that you have concerns or anxieties or fears over, you have to realize that you're gonna need to change your supplements just like changing up your exercise. If you take the same supplements every day but your needs change, then clearly that's not going to continue to work. If you don't change your supplements because you're feeling good and you don't see a reason to because they must be working if you're feeling the same, that is just plain stupid. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because you don't feel the degeneration in your body until you feel the degeneration in your body. So you change up supplements to, get, to keep ahead of the curve. Also, as you age, your absorption reduces. If you could do tests, you'd find that out and you'd know it. You can even tailor it further. Supplements might also be changed by your healthcare providers, at least I changed them, based on new research. Also, I'll put people on certain supplements for certain times knowing full well that in a month or two months, I'm going to change things up simply because of how supplements um, work differently in the body over time. I've done a few different shows on supplementation and uh, they are very useful in this regard if you want more information. And the lifestyle, again, your lifestyle may need to change too. Maybe your sleep habits. um, There's all sorts of aspects of lifestyle that may need to change. I mean, if you can't tolerate stress the way you used to and if you're in a stressful environment, that's a lifestyle change right there. So you need to know how to adjust your life over time. But... I also have seen intelligent people doing the wrong things for them for a very, very long time, which reinforces the wrong changes in the body. So if you're taking, let's say, turmeric at high doses for too long, you might increase your risk of hemorrhagic stroke or bleeding stroke. If you take turmeric the right way as you need it, you help prevent that and many, many other things. You know, the whole concept, again, of the show of your deepest fears about hidden health problems does center a lot around anxiety. And what it's called, though, is health anxiety. Health anxiety is a phenomenon, really, where an individual becomes anxious Because they have an innate sense that something may be wrong. That's what we're talking about. Some people don't like to be labeled as having anxiety, but um, who cares? Meaning that if you have anxiety, then there's that, and you distinguish it as such, you can now deal with it. And many people do not like to admit when it's appropriate when it's when it's the case that anxiety actually causes your health problems whether you have anxiety from your health problems or your health problems caused anxiety it must be factored into your healing plan and that might mean you see a therapist who knows how to deal with health anxiety that teaches you proper coping skills and all sorts of techniques to help break the cycle of anxiety I work with patients where we use nutrition and lifestyle to manage anxiety. Sometimes it's a combination of medical therapies and nutrition and lifestyle and and health coaching or therapy. But health anxiety is real. And like I said, it's a phenomenon where an individual becomes anxious because they have an innate sense that something may be wrong. And sometimes something is not wrong. And other times something is wrong. And it is hidden. And of course you've heard about hypochondriacs. And this. let me just define that for a minute. You know, hypochondriacs, they become their symptoms. So many of the symptoms uh, that hypochondriacs feel are often sensations caused by anxiety or depression that can go along with the hypochondriac condition. So the constant worry can release harmful chemicals and, as I mentioned, create real structural changes in the brain and the rest of the body, uh, producing stress hormones, for example, that are over the top, and they do real physical damage to the body. In other words, hypochondriacs can literally worry themselves to death. Now, you might say, I'm not a hypochondriac. Well, even if you're not a textbook hypochondriac, But if you have chronic, persistent fears about your health, um, it's something to consider. You know, if you were to label yourself as a hypochondriac, the very least that you can get from that is that you've distinguished an emotional response that you have so that you can now deal with it. So that, I think, is a very good thing. Now, on the other hand, when you're... When you're afraid of getting sick, or that a diagnosis is has been missed with you, you're likely again to put yourself at risk of overdiagnosis and overtreatment. Now, overdiagnosis and overtreatment in medicine uh, is extremely common, and when the misdiagnosis or overdiagnosis is made, there are usually tests. Some of them invasive. Some of them involving great levels of radiation that you would be exposed to. So I've seen this a lot as well. But even if a person feels strongly that they need a diagnosis or they need to follow the doctor's orders and get certain tests done, some of them might be, let's say, CT scans that let off enormous amounts of radiation, like PET scans, then at least nutritionally, a person can prepare for those exposures and reduce their risk. So on every level and in every possible way, I like to support my patients in managing their risks and mitigating their risks of actually getting disease or increasing the risk of, uh, let's say, cancers from radiation because of the test that they choose to do. That's a bit of a side note, but a very important one. Because I've seen people who, they have such fears about certain diagnoses and they want to get these tests, but they're afraid of the radiation. So at least we can do something to offset that in a fairly significant way and that makes them feel much, much better. So what are, this, what are some steps that you could use to overcome your concerns regarding uh, hidden illness and your frustrations regarding that, uh, let's say the doctors or practitioners that you've seen have missed something? Well, there's a couple of things practically that you can do. Number one, interview the practitioner. So if you want to investigate something and you don't know where to start, you have to first start with finding some practitioners and then interviewing them. If they don't want to be interviewed, then scratch them off your list. If they are willing to interview you, then generally speaking, that means that they care, that they've made the time out of their own lives and their busy practices to speak with people first to make sure that they are the right practitioner for you. Look, I have people calling all the time from the show and just that hear about me from referrals. And uh, the first thing I'll ask them is to describe in a few minutes what's going on with them. And I let them know that I will tell them if I'm the right practitioner or not. And if I'm not, sometimes I can even refer them to someone else. Uh, and sometimes I don't have a referral for them. So interview the practitioner. Probably 15 minutes is about the time you would need to really get a sense of things. Really, five minutes should be enough, but 10 minutes, you can really vet somebody, as they say. You want to discuss with that practitioner some of the the possible tests and or procedures that they might consider giving the basis, the basis of your health problems that you've discussed during the 15-minute or so conversation. They might say to you, well, I don't know, I don't really know, and that's fair, but they may also know. Sometimes I can say to a person, well, you know, the first thing I'd like to do with everyone is a test of absorption. Do you absorb or not well? I need to know that because how can we treat anything if you don't absorb well? They might say, well, you know, I think that you have hardening of the arteries, so uh, it's interfering with your circulation. It's causing inflammation because lack of circulation is causing an anaerobic effect in your, in your cells, your bodies, your tissues. Uh, that might drop your blood pH. So I might want to check your blood pH and the test of the stiffness of your arteries. And then if you do have stiffness of your arteries, we'll have a baseline so that we can soften that up over time and your health should be improving at the same time as your tests are improving. You know, you can get better, you can feel better, just because you feel better, not because your body improved anything. Also, you might want to ask the practitioner, how long do treatments take on average? They, might, You might say, well, you know, um, so I, I must—I'll meet you once, obviously, and then uh, how many treatments do I need? And they probably will say, "Well, I, I don't know until I see—you know—I discuss things with you and I see what your test results show. That'll give me an idea." Now you can say to them, "Okay, but you know I can only like afford uh, maybe you know a thousand dollars in treatments. Can you help me within that budget?" Now, the doctor might say, I can't do it. It's just not enough to allow the time uh, and or the testing to figure things out. But on the other hand, they might say, that sounds reasonable. I believe that I can work within that budget and I will do that because I know it's what your limitation is and you need help. So that's possible. And you also want to discuss whether uh, or not that healthcare provider will... Um, speak with your other healthcare providers. So you say, will you will you talk with my other doctors, my endocrinologist, my acupuncturist, my herbologist, to coordinate things? And if they say, No, that's not really how I work, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and give you a reason for that. Uh, maybe a good reason such as,, um, well, you know, I do want to know, of course, everything you've done before, I want to see any other tests but I do have my way of doing things and I consider everything you've done, but it really isn't practical for me to speak to three or four healthcare providers. However, if you have your healthcare providers provide me maybe a letter of summary of your healthcare, that's quite reasonable. So this is one of those points where there is only so much time in uh, a busy practitioner's life. Uh, So, but if they offer some way in which other practitioners can get you information, or them information, that's good. You might already have those tests, let's say, from your prior healthcare providers. And if you don't, you wanna get them. When I, I like to see those at my second visit with patients. If they have them for the first visit, that's great. But usually, I have so much to do on the first visit between reviewing all the paperwork that the patient filled out, all the responses to the very important questions I need to know. Then that's what I need to do. Maybe I'll be doing testing on my own, but by the follow-up, if I have some testing that was done elsewhere, I could then get to consider it in context with things. So that's perfect timing. And the next question to uh, manage hidden fears that you may have about hidden health problems is to ask the healthcare providers you're you're interviewing. Um, do I have access to you? So they might say, well, the access that you have is during our scheduled consultations. And that's reasonable. But other other practitioners, uh, like myself, also offer text communication and phone and email communication. So my patients are always saying to me how shocked they are at how fast I respond to their emails and their texts. I do admit phone calls are harder for me to respond to But if I tell a patient, if it's urgent, you must call me. Uh, And if I don't respond to your email or text within one day, please do call me. Not all practitioners have that availability. I've designed that into my practice because the style of my practice is one person at a time. I schedule one person at a time. That's it. I don't schedule two and three people at a time. That was my earlier practice until I learned I cannot do my best doing that. The next point, during that conversation with the practitioner you're interviewing, I would be mindful, folks, of when you ask a question, listen to the healthcare provider. Try not to talk the entire 15 minutes yourself. I mean, you can do that. Um, but the practitioner, hopefully, will stop you and say, if you don't mind, I'd like to interject. I'd like to respond to what you just said because it's a good point or here's what I think. So when you're preparing for that conversation, you want to write down the questions that you want to ask so you'll stay on point because otherwise you will forget some of the most likely. And you want to give the healthcare provider a chance to respond and respect the time. Respect the limitation of time. Maybe a practitioner will speak to you for an hour. But quite honestly, if they have an hour to speak with you, then um, I'm not sure that their practice is doing that well. And uh, that might be a reflection of, of their skill level. So I'd be a little suspect of that. 15 minutes is also quite a lot of time, but it, and it is enough time for this. Now, does the practitioner request uh, testing or other pertinent information from your other healthcare providers? So they can review it. If they don't for your first visit, um, well, they may have forgotten to ask you, but you also, you just want to bring it. And if they do ask you, that's key right there. Think about it. I mean, there's a lot of important information regarding your health, your health secrets, literally that may be missed or not appreciated or underappreciated by prior practitioners. Everything you have ever done might matter and should uh, be brought to um, the attention of the new healthcare provider. So, what we've done today, I hope, is establish some basic concepts and practical approaches to managing your deepest fears with hidden health problems. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. As you know, I am the host of Ask the Blood Detective. It's been my pleasure today to speak with you. And please send me your questions at info at and call me At 914-552-1442 if you'd like to schedule with me personally uh, or if you have some other questions. And my website, once again, is com. Take care, everyone.